We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the NBA front office show. Um, it's been a day. It's it's been it's been a day here. I'm feeling a certain kind of way right now, but we're we're still gonna do a show. Uh Keith, you know, we we talk about this sometimes. Like one of the worst things that can, at least in the video and audio world, one of the worst things that can happen, and I have had this happen before, is that you record something and then it turn out, turns out the file is corrupt, especially when it's like an interview or something like that. Like that's the worst feeling when you lose uh, an interview. The second worst feeling is when you do something, you put in a bunch of effort, and then something comes out immediately and it changes everything you just did. That's the world I'm living in right now, my friend. Yeah, put a bunch of effort into my Dear Darwin video this morning, hyping up Lakers Celtics. Literally, as I uploaded the file, the Lakers announced that LeBron James and Anthony Davis are not playing in this game, rendering almost everything I said moot. It now lives on Twitter as a ironic artifact of the tragedy that befell me this morning. Yeah, there is a point where you're like, well, nothing I can do but basically laugh at it, right? It's yep. either laugh or cry, and you generally I think we both choose to laugh at those things and say mm -hmm. hey well this is all garbage and useless now <laughs> exactly so throw it away uh yeah I I've been there I've been there on the side of written articles about why a team should or shouldn't do something transactionally and then they do the opposite of what I wrote right. and I'm like well now that's complete trash and <laughs> that means nothing so yeah or they do something that makes it completely a moot point so yeah i hear you it's um you know it's funny because a lot of people were like it, it i think both celtics and lakers fans feel the same way is like yeah you always want to beat the other side but you want to beat them whole because it sure. just feels better right so i don't think a lot of celtics fans are like reveling in this by any means because there's also a point for celtics fans where it's like i want to get the lakers whole because like they're up now five games after the Bucks loss. They're up five games in the top of the conference. So mm -hmm. it's like not even all that worrisome, like that they need to be in a position to do all that much. You know, if they lost the game, it's it's more of a loss to the Lakers than it is, oh mm -hmm. no, we lost ground in the standings. So, right. Yeah, it's in for any just casual fan, it just sucks. Like now yeah. this should have been one of the best games, and now it's just gonna be like, well, 
it kind of is what it is and we'll see what it looks like oh if you if you if you bought tickets to this game your your investment took a big big dive yeah. um i'm sure those ticket prices are dropping like crazy um Rough. And you know what? Look, Anthony Davis has legit been injured. LeBron James, they were running him into the ground, uh, playing him. I mean, Darvin Ham has lost his mind, playing him 37 minutes in a blowout loss against the Rockets, uh, and then playing him the second night of a back to back as well. And that's how you wind up in, in this kind of situation. But um, yeah, it's it's unfortunate. It's going to take a, a game that we all had circled on our calendar and kind of kind of crush it, which we just saw happen, what, less than a week ago as well with uh, Joel Embiid, and, you know, he's supposed to take on Jokic, and, oh, no, wait, now he's he's not playing. Of course, now he's hurt as well. Injuries happen, they suck, but, um, yeah, this, this is a tough blow, certainly, for, not just for me, because I put in all this work on this video that I did, but also because we were all looking forward to this game. It was going to be kind of a, an exciting game. It's a, Every year, you circle the two games, the Lakers and Celtics play each other, and now we, we kind of get robbed of this one. Yeah, I have a bunch of friends who were like, I think I'll probably watch Pacers Knicks instead. It's probably just going to be a better game to to check out, even though you get the Knicks also banged up as well. I mean, it's it's still Celtics Lakers. Like, we'll still try to enjoy it and have fun with it and everything. But yeah, it takes a lot of shine off the matchup for sure. I think too. Derek Bodner put out some good stuff today um, related to the Joel Embiid conversation. Mm-hmm. Uh, where and we're going to talk a little bit more about that whole thing because some other news came down but one of the things he put out was like it's kind of gotten a little crazy how much people are willing to basically call players out and say they're not really hurt all the time and you know this as well as i do anytime you put out there because you do the same thing i'll do where it's hey here's a notable injury report or the lakers Mm -hmm. injury report or i'll do it for the celtics and instantly there's a response of, yeah, just rest him. And it's not a just rest him from the, yay, let him fully heal up from that rolled ankle. Give him, you know, three games off or whatever. It's people think every time a player is hurt, unless it's like player X has a, like Julius Randle. Everybody's sure. like, okay, he's dealing with a very serious injury. Unless people know that the team has said they're out for weeks, everybody just assumes every injury is either it's related to, rest if it's a good team or it's related to tanking if it's yep. a bad team and you know what sometimes guys are just hurt sometimes they just can't play <laughs> that's just the cynics day. and like, yeah but like yeah i just it just kills me where you know like i think the stuff Derek bodner put together today was really poignant because it's also the way some people attacked Embiid, especially some media members and mm-hmm. i get it some of it was just people getting jokes off so and, and people were excited like, about that game that's that's a big part of it. And people should have been excited, but I think there is a um piece where it is you have to be reasonable with this stuff. You can't just start firing off takes because it just it just ends everybody ends up looking like an idiot then. Yeah, yeah, that that's for sure. And you know what? Like and there there's also there's people who look at injuries and and updates and things like that and just they assume that it's the player making the decision. And we've talked yeah. about that a lot. It's, it's, I don't even know what percentage you want to put on 95%. You know, it, it is a, the vast majority of the time, it is not the player that's making the call. Typically, players want to play. Are there some players who maybe have said, eh, I don't really feel like going tonight or whatever? I'm sure it's happened. But in general, it's the team, it's the organization that makes the decision there. It's, um, it, it's not on, and then unfortunately, it tends to the negative reaction tends to be directed at the players in those types of situations. 
Yeah, almost always. Yeah, the players are the ones who get called soft and yeah. they, they they don't want to play and all these things. So, yeah, it's all stuff we've talked about before, but, you know, it kind of is what it is. All right, let's get into today's news. We've got a lot, a lot to get through. Uh, let's just, sticking with uh, the Lakers. Oh, there's Isaiah Stewart expected to miss 10 to 14 days. With a sprained um, ankle. With a sprained ankle. There you go. More topic, but here we are. Isaiah Stewart is out, and I'm sure somebody will say, "Yeah, that's a tank move," and they'll reply with the tank gif and everything else and all that Mm -hmm. stuff. So, yes, indeed. All right. Um, Sticking with the Lakers in terms of their trade talks, uh, the Hawks reportedly want Austin Reeves in any deal, sending out Dejounte Murray, which we've talked a lot about this. uh, That that was probably always the Hawks' ulterior motive was let's get the Lakers into these trade trade negotiations and. Then let's let's tell them, hey, Austin Reeves are no deal. Um, everything I have heard, and it's been a little bit sub checked in, but everything I've heard is that the Lakers will not do Austin Reeves in a in a Dejounte Murray if it's an All Star level player, like a true, like legit year in year out All Star. Then of course, but if it's Dejounte Murray, they're not willing to do that. Um, but we'll see if that changes. We are now actually we just passed a few moments ago. One week exactly till the trade deadline. So who knows what how things will twist and turn. But right now, it seems like the Hawks and Lakers are in a staring contest. The Lakers say, we're not putting in Austin Reeves. We want a deal around D'Angelo Russell. The Hawks are saying Austin Reeves has to be in it. My guess is the trade deadline comes and goes and, and they don't do the deal. That's That's my sense right now. But we'll see if either side kind of budges on their position. Yeah, I think we may still get the version where it's D'Angelo Russell headlines it from the Lakers matching salary side mm-hmm. and they are able to get something else of value to Atlanta by routing Russell to a third team. I just, I don't know. I just feel like Murray's going to get traded and it seems like the Lakers are the ones who are kind of knocking on the door the hardest uh, for him. So, mm-hmm. but it, it also would not surprise me if we get to this point a week from now and we're talking about, all right, let's, let's, uh, we kind of know what deals got done. Maybe a week from now, shameless self-promotion. We'll be live mm-hmm. uh, trade deadline day right here on the front office show. Um, maybe we're talking about, well, wow, we're still getting deal details trickling in. Or maybe deals fully because it's only been 20 minutes after the deadline or whatever. But but generally, we start talking about, all right, let's talk about some of those things that didn't happen, right? Because we want to get into it a little bit. And I think there is a chance maybe we're talking about, yeah, Lakers and Murray didn't get done and, Murray somewhere else or Murray still on the Hawks and what does that mean and does this carry into the summer and what is that going to look like now and all the things that could go along with that there's been a lot of people who have suggested in the recent past I'd say about four or five days Mm -hmm. of there are some teams that are saying we might need to wait till the summertime because then that frees up we can offer an additional draft pick in a trade or whatever it is and roster spots yeah this player turns into an expiring contract and it's just of more value to the team at that point and those kind of things i don't know that that's going to hold up deals from getting done but i think there is a a potential that we do see some different stuff uh happening there so let's see but yeah i mean this one seems pretty clear Lakers are not moving Austin Reeves for DeJounte Murray. And I, I don't know that anything in the next week changes their mind on that uh, standpoint. All right, let's jump over to the other team and the disappointing, the the disappointment bowl that we've got, that we've got tonight. Uh, the Celtics, uh, as well as the Suns are in- interested in Jay Sean Tate. Uh, what is it the Celtics are looking for right now out there on the trademark? I mean, they, like you said, they have a great record. They've built up a, a great lead in the Eastern conference. What are they, what are they trying to find? 
Yeah, Brad Stevens had a big wing um, with something he's looking at, which Tate doesn't necessarily fill from the uh, you know size wise. Normally, you think all right, big wing. You're thinking six foot eight or taller. He's only about six foot four, but he plays much bigger than that. This is a guy who's always played much more like a four than he is anything else. So I think he would fit in as another defensive minded guy they could get. It's also important to know. He makes $6.5 million, so he's very acquirable. It's mm-hmm. not, you know, anybody who makes much more than about $8 million, kind of take them off the list for Boston. They just don't really have the ability to go trade for a guy like that. They they don't have the matching salary to get there. So so you take that, that out of the mix. So Tate fits the bill for guys that they could conceivably go get. Then the other thing we hear repeatedly is they're looking for another front court player and another guy. And they just went through a run where they were without for multiple games, one or two of Chris Stapps, Porzingis, Al Horford, or Luke Cornett. That's kind of their top three bigs. And when they're all there, you're fine. Cause Luke Cornett is perfectly serviceable and fine as a third center. Mm-hmm. But if one of them's missing, now you're pressing Cornette into that backup role. Right. Then you don't have the guy behind him. Never mind if you're missing two, then you're going to like like the Maya Skata off the bench and those kind of things. And that's just not not really where you want to be. So there's some thought to that they would like to add one other big. Kelly Olynyk, somebody they've been linked to repeatedly, just makes too much money. And that's a challenge for them to to really get in on a serious trade for, for a guy like Olynyk. And then the Suns, same boat, really. They're looking for yeah. kind of just about anything. And same kind of trade parameters for the Suns because they seemingly have made it pretty clear they don't want to trade Grayson Allen. So that means Nasir Little and his right. $6 million or so in salary is their matching piece, or it's cobbling together two, three, four minimum guys. And the challenge with something like that is roster spots on the other side. That's where it gets tricky to be able to facilitate a deal that way. And then they've got those second round picks that they were able to acquire through different, you know, pick swaps yeah. and all kinds of stuff. Or crossing them as Zach Lowe puts it, which I love. What is that? He said they horcrux their oh. remaining first rounders <laughs> from from Harry Potter. Uh, what Voldemort did, they broke them up by swapping rights and all this other nonsense. Which honestly, as we launched the spot track trade machine, aggravated me to no end. Oh, I totally we're trying imagine. to figure out how to code that in there, like in a reasonable way. And it's some of it were just like, just forget it, just put it in what it is, and. If people want to throw it in a trade, let them explain to everybody what they're trying to accomplish here. So, but yeah, it's uh, you know, just yeah, there's not a lot for Phoenix left to trade. They've, like you said, they picked up a couple seconds and at least they've got that now to throw in deals if they want to go do something. But matching salary is a huge challenge for them, much like it is for Milwaukee, unless Milwaukee wants to talk. Pat Connaughton or Bobby Portis or somebody like that. Right, right. All right, let's jump over to uh, Washington, to the Wizards. Uh, Kuzma could be the new big target. I mean, right now, we've for the last few weeks, we've kind of existed in a trade market that I, ever since the you know the OG Ananobi trade, the Pascal Siakam trade, it's really all been kind of Dejounte Murray's been the biggest name out there. Now, there's a lot of other guys that can certainly help teams, some role players that can can shift things a bit, but he's been the biggest name. That's been out there. Well, now it's sounding like Kyle Kuzma might be more available than we initially thought that instead of two first round picks, maybe Washington would be willing to do a bit less than that. I also like that he's on a declining contract. Um, it actually gets less and less. And I, I want to say it finishes out at like 19 million in a few years, which is not bad at all for what Kyle Kuzma can can provide. So do you see him moving if the Wizards are indeed lowering their asking price as we get closer to the deadline? 
If they really are lowering your asking price, absolutely. Because you said the contract's already a good number this year, and mm-hmm. then, then it finishes out. So this year, just to kind of put a bow on that, 25.6 million, 23.5, 21.5, 19.4. Uh, very good number. By the yeah. time we're at that 19.4, we're talking barely above the non-taxpayer MLE amount if the cap continues to go the way we think it will. So yeah, I would be all over that. And I think the one challenge is when you have those declining contracts, it can be hard to then extend the player off that final year. Oh, but we'll also point. be talking about Kyle Kuzma, who will be what is he now? He he's is like 28 now. 28. So he'll be 29 over the summer. So he'll be in his early 30s. So that may not be that big of a deal at that point, right? You may be able to look at it and say, all right, we can offer you about $30 million. He might be willing to say, okay, that, that works for me mm-hmm. by the time he's in his early 30s. So yeah, I he, really interesting guy. You know, I've 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 been critical of Kyle Kuzma in the past because there were points where it felt like some of the stats were a little bit of like empty stack gunner type stuff. But as he's improved his efficiency, he's improved his passing, he's improved his rebounding. All those things have come together where it's like, okay, Kyle Kuzma is a nice player. And it was also in part where I was critical was when people were like, oh, he's going to be a max guy. And I was like, I don't know that I ever see that being a thing. But if you need some scoring and a guy who really, because he learned it in the early years of his career, knows how to play off ball, knows how to move and when to cut and how to spot up and how to lift into the open spaces on the floor, he'd be a great addition for any number of teams that are looking for a guy who can just come in and give them a little bit of scoring punch in a guy when your main guys are maybe, Hey, they're either out of the game and you know, on the bench or they miss a game. You could throw it to Kuzma and say, all right, you got it tonight. Go, go get us 30. And, and I, I look at his, you know, his three point percentage, which looks a little bit low. He's sitting right around like 33 ish percent, but I think on a better team, that number would go up if he was getting some cleaner looks. So that's something to consider too. So I, I'm like, this is, you know, this isn't like suddenly, you know, Kyrie's available on the market or, 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 or the Lucas, you know, the Mavs are suddenly going to trade Luke. You know, it's not like, oh my gosh, superstar available or even all-star is available, but this does spice up the market a little bit. Cause I think that a lot of teams will go, huh? Well, could we, you know, it's not a bad number. Could we get in on Kyle Kuzma here? So this is, um, I think for for those of us interested interested in seeing an exciting trade deadline, I think this is a good thing because this is going to create some interest, a little bit of buzz, and hopefully provide even a, a little bit more movement on the market. These are the kind of guys I think when Woj said the other day, I think it was yesterday in his, his chat he did over on uh, threads on Instagram, he said something akin to, I think there'll be a lot of role player trades. And Kyle Kuzma is probably like an A-plus role player. Uh-huh. But in reality, he's a role player, right? Like he, he's not an all-star level guy. Um, he's just, that's not where he's at. That's not where he's seen at. That's not how he's paid. But this is like a, I, I hesitate to call him a role player because he's like better than a role player. Right. But he is like, that's what he is. He's like an A-plus role player. So maybe these are the kind of guys we see move a little bit more. And, and that's fine, too, because that, that makes, like you said, for a very interesting deadline. I would put this akin to the OG Ananobi trade, probably a tick or two lower, just because Ananobi has a kind of all-defense level in them. Um, but it, it's it's similar to that level of trade for me. Mm-hmm. And we all got jazzed up and excited about that one. So sure. I'd be just as excited if a Kuzma trade you know, dropped on us here in the next week. 
and we think about like landing spots, he could really fit a lot of places. There's a lot of places. So it's it's not even like, oh, this team, you know, who needs a point guard? This team needs a point guard. Clearly, they're going to go there. No, there's there's a lot of teams that could add Kyle Kuzma and slot him right in and, and off they go. Yeah, very plug and play guy. You play him in almost any role and, and mm-hmm. be, be be very happy with what he's going to bring you. So yeah, I, I'm I'm with you. I, I if if it's two real first round picks, I'm probably that that's a little rich for me for sure. most teams. But if you're talking one real first round pick, maybe one of those weird protected picks, or mm-hmm. throw a second, or maybe a player needs to change the scenery, I'm I'm probably in on that kind of deal. All right, let's jump over to the Warriors. Now there's rumors that they're not breaking up their core. I know they've been struggling to gain traction at this point. They've picked up a, uh, a few wins recently. But uh, uh, do you think the Warriors might be at a point? Because we kept hearing like, all right, this is going to be it. Maybe they're going to move on from some of these guys. Over the last week or two, I think the Warriors have, have come to the realization that it's not going to happen and there's no need to make the big move right now. Do you think that's where we're at? I don't know. I think this is more of... We're not doing anything with Steph, Draymond, and Clay. So let's not even really have those conversations. Let's more really talk about if you really want to talk about Chris Paul or Andrew Wiggins, those are conversations we're willing to have. But I don't know if you saw Steve Kerr's comment, uh, I think it was after last night's game, was we're not getting players who are better than Chris Paul or Gary Payton the second in trades. Like he very clearly feels that way. Now Trades don't always work that way, right? Some A lot of trades are made about finances. Like, for example, the Toronto Raptors, they can get a player, any players that are better than Pascal Siakam in their trade with the Pacers, but they got picks, they got good players, and sometimes it's about putting four quarters together to go get a dollar. And sometimes mm-hmm. you're willing to take one or two of those quarters a year or two from now. So I think it just becomes a situation where I, I think this is maybe a little tone-setting, if the Warriors are ones who are kind of putting this out there of, hey, we're not ready to go that that route, but we're still open for business on some other guys mm-hmm. if we want to do that. And, and in reality, they're only a game and a half behind both the Lakers and the Jazz. Right, They're four games behind Dallas, so that's probably too much, even though it is only two games in the loss column uh, behind the Mavericks. Remember, the Warriors have a couple games they need to make up. Because uh, they had games canceled when their assistant coach passed away, so they're they're a couple games off of everybody else's pace. So I think you're in a spot where I would look at it and say, "All right, we can still make a run at this thing if we we can get hot here." But again, if, if this sounds crazy to say, but this might be a big week. You pick up I don't know how many games they have before the trade deadline. You pick up two three wins in the next week here, and now all of a sudden it's all right. We're in the playing tournament where a game or two under 500. All right, let's maybe, 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 maybe we do think about not, not necessarily a clay or Draymond sure. type trade, but maybe we do look at kind of going a little bit more all in. So I just pulled it up just to see where we're at. They have Memphis, Atlanta. So they're going on an East coast trip uh, starting this weekend. So Memphis and at it, at Memphis at Atlanta, at Brooklyn, at Philadelphia, then trade deadline day at Indiana. So there are four more games. Depending where Philly is health-wise, by the time we get to that game on the seventh, we could the Warriors could very easily be at five hundred, and then mm-hmm. that becomes a all right, you know, trade deadline. Then they go, and yeah. Then then it might be, hey, let's go because I think if I'm the Warriors, I'm thinking just get us in the postseason. We'll take care of business in the playing tournament, and then no one's going to want to look across the game and be like, 
are we going to deal with Steph for right. seven games like sure. over the next two weeks? Like, because we all know he can win a game or two almost by himself. And then all of a sudden, it's like, damn, now we're in a series we didn't really intend to be in, and and that that's a tough spot to 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 be if you're opposing teams. So I think. I generally don't feel this way with a lot of teams or it's like, let's see what happens over the next week. Cause I think you know who you are, but they're, they're in a little bit of a different place. Yeah. I, I think that's fair. Um, Keith, there's a lot going on with Brooklyn right now. So we yeah. just, we, we just went nuts in the news. Yeah. Um, do you want to start with Nick Claxton? Who that's another guy who is now rumored to be, according to Mark Stein's fantastic Substack, now rumored to be perhaps more available than what we were previously thinking. Yeah, that's that's a little interesting. I think there's a thought process around that he's a free agent at the end of the season. So are the Nets going to pay him big money? He's coming mm-hmm. off a $9.6 million contract uh, this year. So are the Nets going to going to really load up and go get him? He's an unrestricted free agent this time around. So they do have his bird rights. But this is not a guy where I don't know that the bird rights are going to matter too, too much because it's not like he's pushing north of $30 million a season. Right. It's probably maybe, maybe somebody might give him 20 And a handful of the cap space teams may look at him and be like, yeah, it makes sense for us. Or you may have teams that are like, hey, we'll give him 20 in a sign-in trade. And that then, yes, the Nets still technically control the process, but you can kind of get backed into a corner a little bit there where it gets a little messy for your – decision-making on those kind of things. So I I think we may see a point where it is maybe the Nets, if they do make a couple of these other moves where it's, say, let's try to move off some money and get some guys out of here, where the Nets may be looking at saying, hey, we have a chance to have a whole bunch of cap space around Mikhail Bridges, probably Cam Johnson. I don't think he gets traded either. And we could kind of go into the summer with all kinds of options that maybe we didn't have you know, last week or, you know, we didn't tend to have it all uh, when we started this season, but here's where we've kind of fallen into. Interesting. You know, we talked about this before coming on the air here that uh, even if the Rockets included Jalen Green, that's not going to be enough to get the Nets to to give them Mikhail Bridges. So that, that tells me they are really set on, on keeping Bridges and, and hanging on to him. And we talked about, I believe it was yesterday, whether or not that's the correct decision for them and all that, but that appears to be the path that they're going down. They just, they want to keep bridges. They want to see what they can build uh, around him and, and with him and then go from there. Those other guys, you know, we continue to hear Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal as three guys they'll potentially look to trade here at the deadline. But uh sounds like Mikhail Bridges is not going anywhere. Yeah. Yeah. Just furthering the reporting from the last uh, few days. And that this again, Mark Stein had this in his sub stack and you guys really should get it. Cause he also delivers all of his posts as like a newsletter format. So yeah. even if you're, not a spot where you could get to a sub stack easily. You just have it in your email and just pull it up and read it and go from there. So it, it really is a lot of good stuff in there. And yeah. He says that he mentions Spencer Dinwiddie, Dorian Finney-Smith, Royce O'Neal, all very known to be very available. So I feel like Brooklyn is kind of becoming one of those teams to watch here because it yeah. feels like they're going to do something to try to set the tone for where are we going moving forward. And, but it, yeah, to, to your point on this one, seems like moving forward with Mikhail Bridges as a centerpiece of what they're building around. And I don't hate the idea. I just don't know that I'd be turning my nose up and not even willing to talk. Hey, you want your picks back plus other stuff plus Jalen Green? 
that starts to turn into a maybe a little bit of a different situation. But maybe they're that low on Jalen Green that they're kind of like, yeah, we don't really. He doesn't do anything for us. We already have Cam Thomas, and mm-hmm. maybe we go in that direction. All right. Uh, we've talked all about you know Nick Claxton being more available than expected. We've talked about Kyle Kuzma being more available than expected. Colin Sexton, maybe not as available as we as we expected. The Utah, and by the way, Keith, how much of this do you think is teams kind of saying, "Hey, you know, this is I don't know, putting out there what they want out there, right? Either to try to spark interest or to try to to drive up offers." Like we have to take everything with a grain of salt this time of year. But the Jazz sounds like they're not as set on moving Colin Sexton as we may have been hearing previously. I I think with. This one, the Jazz are probably looking at it and saying, hey, we've got him on a pretty good contract mm-hmm. for the next couple of seasons beyond this one. If we're going to keep Laurie Markinen and our young guys and try to build a good team here in the next year or two, we need guys like Colin Sexton. Yeah. And if you want him, you better come with a real offer. Like you're not, he's not getting thrown into a deal. You're not getting him for a top 20 protected first round pick or anything like that, or God forbid anything lower of mm-hmm. an offer. Like we're just going to kind of hang on to him where we're happy to keep him. He's been playing really, really well. Uh, he's yes. been a favorite of you and I for a while now, mm-hmm. and he really is playing good basketball in the starting group. And he fits with marketing. Like they have pretty good chemistry. They, they run some good stuff together. So uh, the names that, that Stein mentions are the same names we've heard. Jordan Clarkson, uh, Kelly Olenek, and Taylor Norton Tucker, which is okay, sure. Like it's Clarkson's the most interesting guy of that group to me for any number of reasons because I think he's just everybody's always looking for bench scoring. Plug him in on any number of teams. Pretty mm-hmm. good contract too. Olenek, very interesting. He's having a great season. I don't know how many people realize shooting his rebounds, his assists. He he regularly is in like triple double zone in like 20 minutes a night off the bench, like because they run so much of their offense through him on the second unit. Horton Tucker, I'm I'm just, I'm not a He's an expiring you know, right now. And, and I just, I don't think he's very good. Yeah. He can't shoot. And like, I don't know where you go with that. You can't, you can't make him the centerpiece of even bench units because he can't shoot. He, he seems like the guy who racks up stats when the teams aren't very good. But then when it comes down to, hey, the team's good, he just doesn't play. So at that one, I don't know. Maybe, maybe that becomes, hey, here's eleven more dollars, eleven million more dollars in a trade or whatever it is, and yeah. let's let's kind of go from there. But yeah, I. But the first two, that's interesting. And again, I'll say it: Danny Ainge is not going to be seduced by, hey, we could be a playing tournament team. No, if he feels like the the best trade is move those guys because it puts them closer to a title in the next couple of years. He's going to do it. The, the playing tournament doesn't mean anything to him now. If we're like year four or five of his tenure in Utah, that may, may be a little bit of a different yes. story, right? And that may be marking in starts to be like, are we ever going to try to actually go for it here? What are we doing? It, but as it stands right now, I don't think he's feeling any of that. Pressure. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. 
Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. So the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. All right, then we've got, um, and I agree with you 100%. I don't think Danny Danny Age will make that kind of a move just to go, just for the, just to be able to say, hey, we went to the play-in tournament. No, they're, yeah. they're, they've got uh, loftier goals than that. Uh, the NBA issued fines for injury reports uh, to teams for not being as forthcoming as they should be on their, on their injury reports, which this is something we've talked about, has to, as we get more and more, you know, interwoven with betting and and all of that, like they, the teams have to provide information on what's going on with their with their players, and, um, and I mean, even if it wasn't the betting thing, they're still supposed to provide injury reports and updates and all of that, and not not try to obscure things too much. In the playoffs, that all kind of goes out the window a bit. Where it'll be, you know, well, we're not sure if he's going to play when actually the dude's having surgery and he's out for three months or whatever. That's the the Kawhi Leonard of it all, um, yeah. but. But uh, for right now, yeah, you're supposed to put put out injury reports that are uh, honest and and forthcoming with all your your information. And uh, a few teams were not doing this. Yeah. So what happened here was the one story which we talked about off the jump. Joel Embiid uh, was ruled out. Really, it sounds weird to say, but his last minute as guys ever get ruled out yeah. in a game, which was he was in warmups and. The story Philly has told, which I'm going to believe them. I don't know why they would lie about it, was I didn't feel like he looked very good in warm-ups, mm-hmm. and they decided not to let him play. And This was after he wasn't on the injury report at all, so he went from fully available, not on the report, to out. Now, that does happen at times. It was, it was Wembenyama earlier this year who I believe wasn't on the injury report and then stepped on a ball boy's foot in warm-ups, oh, and yeah. he ended up out for that game. So things do happen. Like unfortunate as is some guys do get hurt right away. Now, why I also believe this is, this is being a little harsh to Philly is they then ruled and beat out for last night's game against the Warriors or two nights ago, whenever it was, and then sent him home early and said, he's gone. He's not even on the trip with them. Didn't even go to Utah with the team. So I don't know. This one feels a little harsh to me. They got hit with $75,000 because they had also previously been fined. Now the other fine went to I gotta look it up. I don't was it the Pelicans? Was. The Pelicans for Trey Murphy the third. And I mm-hmm. think that was one where the Pelicans held him out for like he'd been out and they held him out in like the second game of a back-to-back set or something like that. And they didn't have him on the injury report and then ruled him out late. And that's just again, if you're not on the injury report, what this is gonna lead to, this is where I'll go into the NFL for a minute here. Yeah. 
there was a time when Tom Brady was on the injury report every week for like 12 consecutive seasons because the Patriots got fined heavily for not having enough guys on the injury report. And then they proceeded to like the next like three weeks that season list like 35 guys on the injury report as questionable and all these other things. And then Brady was on there for like 12 straight years where there was usually like right shoulder soreness. Mm -hmm. Um, And it just kind of became like a running joke of this guy never misses games. So of course he's not going to be out, but that's what I think you could see teams start doing is fine. We'll just start listening to a whole bunch of dudes. This questionable Miami did it right when they got fined, then they came back and I think they had every single player on the roster a couple years ago that was listed as questionable um, on the injury report. So it's, you don't want it to get, you know, a farce made of the whole thing, but teams are not going to keep taking fines for things. If it's like, Hey, we like, we need to protect our guys. I think with a guy like Embiid, I get it. I wanted to see him play Jokic too. Right. I was all fired up for it too. And I think we get to a point where it is, Hey, you know what though? In the grand scheme of things, the game doesn't really matter that much. We're not going to force him to play through something, you know, where, you know, he, he shouldn't. And now we've had subsequent reporting that's come out where Embiid felt pressure to play in some of these games right. because of some of the discourse around him and all those things. And we, I don't think anybody really wants that either. Well, you know, one thing, and I don't recall if we put this on one of our other shows or not, but Tyrese Halliburton spoke out against the 65 game rule for awards. And there was some thought that, you know, perhaps some of these guys were playing because of that as well. Now Halliburton also has uh, potentially I last I want to say it was like it's like seven million dollars his contract would go up by if he's able to make all NBA this year. So he's got got that that's uh that, that's on his mind as well. But what do, now that we're this is what we're a little over halfway through the season in our first season of having this 65 game marker that you have to play in order to be eligible for these major awards. How do you feel about this? Because now we're seeing some players speak out against it. Yeah, just to close the loop on Halliburton, it's about $7 million in first-year salary. It's $40 million total. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I meant for first year, but in total. So, yeah. that, I mean, he's got a significant amount of – and that's where yeah. – and it's maybe a separate conversation, but that's where we talk about, like, media members not liking that they vote on all NBA and stuff because there's that much money on the line based on their votes for, for players like Halliburton. Uh, people don't want that responsibility on them. Yeah, for sure. And I, I, we're just going to have to see how all this stuff with these game, game limits go. Um, we'll see if eventually maybe enough media members do what Zach Lowe did, which was I'm not doing it anymore because I don't feel good about the money component. So you can have my ballot back. Mm-hmm. Uh, may, maybe we get enough people that are like, all right, yeah, I don't feel good about it either. Maybe enough of the major media members and their, uh, their, um, employers so like the espns and the turners and in those folks say hey well let's discuss this yeah. let's see where we're going with all of this stuff so i think that that could be a thing yeah we'll see um but i yeah the games played stuff i don't know like i i think you're gonna have a lot more barking about it the cynic in me says watch them get through the tv deal and then say you know what we're gonna we're going to lower it even more. We're going to make it 55 games. <laughs> 55 games. Like that. And, 55? You know, maybe that's where it yep. goes, but, but we'll see. Um, you know, when we look at this, and you look at you know players being upset about the, the 65 game thing and, and all of that, it all gets tied to the NBA has now had multiple reports out stating that 
load management does not work, that it doesn't prevent injuries that you might as well play in these games. And I, I think it'll be interesting to see when you have a bit more intel on this, a bit more information on it. But the NBA is is very much getting behind this idea that resting for games doesn't help you prevent injuries any more than just, just playing in those games would. Um, obviously, they've got plenty of reason to have that stance on that. So you always have to consider something like that. But that is something that we're consistently seeing as well as the NBA is trying to push against the idea of load management because it does hurt. You know, I mean, like, uh, for example, we, we started the show off talking about LeBron and Anthony Davis playing. Now, if they if both these guys are dealing with legit injuries, it's a different story. But if if this is, hey, we need to rest them because they're tired and because, you know, we we just we want to try to protect them or whatever, which I don't think the Lakers are in a spot in there in the standings where they can do that. But if that was the case, you're taking away a nationally televised game that would do great ratings. The NBA can't be thrilled with this. So I understand why they would be pushing back against load management, but um, it's going to be fascinating to see like into the summer, what comes of all of this? How does the league look back and, and reevaluate this entire topic? And last thing I'll say on it is Tyrese Halliburton. Maybe he's right. Maybe it is a stupid rule. Maybe Joel Embiid shouldn't feel like he should be pushing himself to play in games. Mm -hmm. Maybe he's absolutely right on that, but the players association agreed to this. And yeah. this was not a negotiation where we never got close to a lockout or to a strike no. or anything like that. So that tells me they, they, they definitely got hung up on things, right? We know that, but they never got hung up on things to the level of, Hey, this 65 game thing is so bad. Like we will not sign the deal, you know, and players got a lot of other stuff too. So I get it. It's every one of these CBA negotiations is, all right, we'll give a little here to get this on both sides mm -hmm. of the agreement, but the players agreed to it. So this is not something the NBA unilaterally put in there. It's not something the NBA can unilaterally change. It would have to be collectively bargained. Now the last CBA, we saw them make all kinds of changes after the fact, most of it pandemic related, right? Like they had yeah. to change a lot of things that they never would have assumed they needed to get into, but they did it because it was, it made sense. Yeah. I think this is one where maybe they come back and say, all right, 65 was maybe too aggressive. I feel like 60 is, I don't know that saying please play in three quarters of the games is too much. Right. Like the 60 feels about right to me. I mean, I think we all know the real answer is reduce the regular season down to 70 ish games. It's just never, ever, ever going to happen. That's it. And I know I've even said, Hey, you expand by a couple teams that it naturally introduces more games into the mm -hmm. pot, but individual owners don't get more games. They're not going to say, Hey, well, cool. The TV contracts are satisfied. They're going to still say I lost five home dates. Yeah. Like that's five more dates, especially with the ones who own the arenas. Oh like, yeah. My arena is not as full, you know? So I, I, I don't know that there's a great answer to this beyond just keep trying things. So you find something that works. Yeah. Like I, I get it. I want everybody to play as often as they can, as long as they're healthy too, because it means that much to me until we get to like April or the very end of March. Then I don't really care if playoff teams are like, I don't care about winning one more game means nothing to me i'm sitting a bunch of guys so those that's just smart and every sport does that. Sure. i mean week what is it now week 18 in the nfl is filled with teams that don't oh, yeah. play anybody. 
and as well yeah, as cautionary well, tales, look what happened with uh, the Detroit Lions. Right? Yeah, they they had like yeah. what like a two or three percent chance of getting the two seed. They played their guys, and Sam Laporta gets a knee injury. Like, yeah. and fortunately, he wound up being okay after that. But I mean, Lions fans. One of my one of my good friends is a Lions fan, and he was livid. Yeah, like the you, you there's reason to. So that's a totally different situation. Yeah, but, that's a and that should be for me. I hope all this stuff's kind of out the window when we get to March and the end of March and the beginning part of April. And I would hope the league and their TV partners just flex teams out then. If, yeah. if you have, if the Celtics already have the one seed wrapped up by the middle of March, which if they continue on this pace, they will because they're up five games and they, they have a national TV game and you know, going into it, Hey, they may not play a whole bunch of guys flex it out for the next yes. best game. Then like mm -hmm. you, you, you can see these things coming you know, here, it's these last minute ones I get that kind of catch them off guard where they're like, oh, well, there's not much or a game or a situation like tonight where it is, hey, the Lakers just ruled these guys out. And you know what? The whole crew is already in Boston. We can't up and move them to another game right. very easily, nor can we, if it involves changing times of the game and all that stuff, you don't want to do any of that stuff. But yeah, if you're watching it far enough out in the end of March, beginning part of April there, you can make this work. But it's just... You're going to have to keep trying stuff until you find a, a, a situa situation or solution that really kind of works for everybody. All right. Last thing we've got, Mark Gasol retires. Big Spain. Yeah. He's, I mean, fantastic career for a guy that at one point was seen as just a, a throw-in in his big brother Pau's trade to the Lakers, and, and he wound up having a phenomenal, phenomenal career. Uh, I one defense to player. rephrase that. His What's older that? brother, Pau, because I don't know that he was ever his That's big true. brother. That's true. That's true. <laughs> Especially uh, when that trade happened. <laughs> you know, there was a lot. Remember back then it was like, oh, cool. So he threw his brother and his fat, doughy brother, who's never going to amount to anything in the NBA. That was, that was probably almost a word-for-word -word quote <laughs> that was written out there that people people put out there at the time. And look, I mean, he got himself in shape and had a hell of a career. He really did. I mean, I mean, defensive player of the year, NBA champion, uh, incredible stuff. So he he officially uh, retires, and 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 great for him. You know what what a career he had, and obviously, um, I and I, I believe it's already been announced in Memphis that his his jersey is getting retired yep. and going up in the Raptors and all that. Yep, later this year too. Yeah, yeah. and I think I see, I saw some discussion of this, and then I put a tweet out about it, and even some people replied and said he's not a Hall of Famer. It is not the NBA Hall of Fame. It is the basketball Hall of Fame. He is 100% a Hall of Famer. Oh, really yeah. close just with his NBA accolades. What he did as a player professionally overseas before and after he came to the NBA, that also deserves recognition. But For his sure. work with the Spanish national team, he won two silver medals at the Olympics, two FIBA World Cup gold medals. I think it was two um, Eurobasket golds. And then multiple other medals in Eurobasket, silvers and bronzes. So, yeah, hundred percent a Hall of Famer, no, no question at all. And even in those silver medals, they were right there with Team USA, right there mm -hmm. uh, in, in those years. I mean, it took one of those years. I know you probably remember it very fondly. It took Kobe Bryant saying, mm -hmm. "Let's go." Yep. Like I did. This is, and that was to me. I get it. Kobe's late Lakers legacy means a lot to Lakers fans. Obviously, I don't. I, I don't care about that as much. I do, sure. I do in the history of the game. I rooted for Kobe Bryant, Team USA, Kobe Bryant. And that was one of the cooler things because that was Kobe looking at LeBron and KD and a whole bunch of dudes and like, I got this. 
Like you're going to, you're, I have you let's go. Like that is just like, I'm almost getting like goosebumps thinking about that yeah. moment. Cause it was just so cool. It was incredible. I mean, he, he, I remember going into that Olympics, Kobe saying, Hey, I'm going to be our defensive stopper because yeah. I can. And yeah. we've got, we've got score. LeBron could score. Katie, you guys can all score. I'm going to be the defensive stopper. I'm going to set that tone. And he did that. And then you get to the final. It was like, they needed Kobe to get going. And he said, cool, I got you. I mean, running through Pau Gasol on the first play of the game was, was epic. Um, but anyway, my, that's all besides the point of the topic of, of Marc Gasol. Yes. Um, he, uh, incredible. Career. To I, say those Spain teams were right there. They're, they're great. Yeah, they, they were right there. And yep. they are a big part of the argument why uh, Marc Gasol is a Hall of Famer. And, I, and yep. I think he absolutely is. And I think, again, you can make the argument that he should be for his NBA career as well. Mm -hmm. uh, but he's definitely, definitely getting in. Yep. All right. I think that about wraps things up for today. Um, do appreciate everybody for coming in, for joining us. Make sure that you do subscribe to the NBA Front Office Show here on YouTube and then the podcast feed over on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts. Till next time, everybody. See ya and stay safe. This is the story of the one. As a maintenance engineer, he hears things differently. To the untrained ear, everything on his shop floor might sound fine, but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping. So he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand. And he knows Granger's got the right product he needs to get the job done, which is music to his ears. Call, click Granger.com, or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done.